God, thanks so much uh, for this morning that we as a church could gather and open your word and hear from you. Lord, it doesn't matter um, who is the mouthpiece. Uh, what matters is that we are opening your word. We're seeing what you have to say to us. And we have open hearts and open minds to where you want to lead us, God. And so, Lord, I'm just uh, grateful for Evan and the hard work that he's put in studying the book of James. I know, Lord, he's just been pouring over it, trying to understand it, trying to apply it to his own life so that he could lead us in it. And so, Lord, just pray that your spirit would be with him, not just this Sunday, but over the next month as he gets to lead us for an entire month and be in this mode of studying the text and coming back each week to encourage and challenge and lift up the church. So, Lord, we just pray you'd be with him in that. Be with us. Lord, give us open hearts and open minds this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if uh, nobody's here next week or the next previous three weeks, I'm going to hold you all. You all clapped, so um, no. Hey, turn in your Bible, if you would, to James chapter 1, verse 19. That's where we're going to hang out this morning. I want to read our text and just get us in. There's a couple things I want to say right before we do that is, um, one, what we're going to read today is really simple. But simple doesn't mean easy. It's going to be, in a lot of ways, really simple. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. And the second thing I just want to say as we read this, if you're familiar at all or if you're not, it's okay, is this is so practical. Kind of fits in with the simplicity part. And that's what we're going to see today. Simple but not easy and very, very practical. Read with me. It's going to be on the screen behind if you don't have your Bible with you. We're going to read through the rest of chapter 1 together. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, that's your word. And as Alan even just said this morning, would you help us to just sit under it Father, would you help us and humble us in the sense that, God, we are not equal with you and we are not equal with your word, but we literally are under it. We need it to lay on us. And so this morning, would your word have its effect as you will, God, in our lives that we might be people who look more and more like your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. James is written, if you've been with us for any amount of time and you've been through some of the parts of this series already, James is written to a group of believers. James is the half-brother of Jesus, so he knows Jesus well. And he's writing to a group of people who are really the first church ever. 
And these Christians, these new Christians, have been gone through really three difficult things that we see in the book of Acts and we even see in the book of Galatians. They've been going through poverty, they've been going through famine, and they've been going through persecution. And so the context for all that James is writing is to people who are struggling, people who need encouragement, people who need instruction. And I would argue that's no different than you and me today. But that is the context. So as we read this, as you, as you sit and read any book of the Bible, it's so helpful and so good and so necessary for us to understand the context. So with that in mind, one of the things I've been saying is really that James, I like to sum it up like this, James is really about dirty theology. And what I mean by dirty is I believe that our faith is a lot like a pair of shoes. Our faith is like a pair of shoes. It's meant to be lived in. It's meant to be walked in. It's meant to walk in a school like this. It's meant to walk into your home. It's meant to walk outside. And what happens when we do that inevitably They get dirty, right? But that's what they're meant to do. We don't put our shoes in the closet and walk out barefoot because we don't want them to get dirty. Some of us may, if we have more than one pair of shoes. But right, our faith is a lot like a pair of shoes. It's meant to get dirty by the things of life, the suffering, the poverty, the persecution. James is saying faith is a lot like shoes. It's meant to go through those things. Basically what he's saying is your faith in God is not fragile. And so for many of us, when we ask questions like, why? Why does this happen? Why is persecution happening? I.e., his readers at the time. Why is this happening to us? James is saying, don't consider it strange. Consider it a blessing. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Some of this is really simple, but it's not easy. All right? And so James is going to finish up. We're in chapter one. We're finishing the chapter one. And really chapter one is kind of like the introduction to the final four chapters of James. And so we're wrapping up this introduction today. So James is kind of hitting a lot of things. And so today he's closing this up and the next four chapters are going to be him really slowing down and expanding on a lot of things he's already talked about in chapter one, but we're not done with chapter one. And so what I want us to see today is that true faith, James says, isn't demonstrating, and he's saying this to his readers at the time, to them, and he's saying it to you, is not being a Jew, which they would have been like, well, that's what we are. We're good, right? He's like, oh, no, no, true faith isn't being a Jew or being circumcised, and it is also not by the people you hang out with, which he's gonna talk a lot more in chapter two. True faith for you and me today isn't demonstrated by merely saying we're Christians, or keeping up our appearances as being Christ-like, not always bad, but that is not the sum total of that. It's actually doing what God says to do. And so our text this morning, I think is just gonna bring out, I was just wrestling with it this week, and it's like this collision. It's two forces moving at one another, and neither are gonna get out of the way, and so they're gonna collide And I think that's what we're gonna see as we have already read the text that James is speaking of a collision of worldviews. And he's saying, Christian, you can either look at the world as God sees it, or you can look at it as the way man sees it. And as a follower of Jesus now, to look at it God's way. And that is gonna collide against our old self over and over again. So let's look at the text and brace for impact, 
who's excited. James is simple, but it's not easy. I like to think of James, he's probably like one of those guys or gals who's just like not afraid to say the hard thing. And you're like, oh boy, here it comes. Yep, it's gonna be, yep, and here it is. Know this, beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Remember, James is addressing followers of Jesus, which is good news for us because obviously they weren't following this perfectly yet. And so there's hope for us who aren't maybe following this perfectly yet. And it might seem right off the bat that James is being very moralistic. Why are you talking about all these things we're supposed to do, James? Isn't our, isn't our favor, and we, Mel talked about it at the beginning of our service, what is the basis of our salvation? Has James lost the plot? No, 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 he hasn't lost the plot. In verse 18, you can turn there if you want, it'll be on the screen. James has just finished saying, salvation is from God. We can't earn salvation. So his whole point of doing is not based on earning God's salvation. I just wanna read that to you real quick. Verse 18, James knows this. Of his own will, he, God, brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James knows that salvation from God is a gift from God. Nothing to be earned. It is by grace. So he then moves right away and says, listen, there's three things that we need to do. Very simple, but not always easy. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Here's the collision. The opposite is of true of how we naturally would live our lives. Slow to hear, probably more marks places in my life, maybe you can relate, Quick to speak and quick to anger. A collision has occurred. And James is saying, who do you trust? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And James knows that what this does is it actually requires you and me and believers at that time to slow James' teaching here on listening is about growing a skill. You and I have a, to grow in the skill of listening. We don't automatically just come out great listeners. And the main obstacle that keeps us from listening, isn't it distraction? But what kind of distraction? Listening means there's a conversation going on between two people at least. We can listen better by focusing our attention on someone. But what does that require? That means we've got to slow down and consider someone else, not just what we want, not what we think, not what I quickly want to tell you or you quickly want to tell me. I slow down and I consider the other person. I think... Our eyes, our skill that James wants us to consider, to look at someone. But it's distract, it's easy to be distracted in conversations. 
So that listening and being quick to listen is easy to be distracted. I have a phone and I can oftentimes listen to my wife or my kids or maybe one of you, sorry if I've done this before, and you can be talking and I'm also, I can do more than one thing. But I think James is actually saying, no, slow, use your eyes to consider someone else. Give them your attention. And does it not follow some of the other teachings in the gospels that we see where it says, hey, consider others more important than yourself. That's convicting for me. And simple, but it's not always easy. Active listening shows a curiosity and a sincere desire to understand the person talking to you. Is that not loving? And James is saying, God's way is a loving way to slow down and consider someone else. Do we do that? Are you good at that? Does that mark your life? Does that mark my life? And as I was sitting under this week, I was like, man, I am not good at that at all. I have a lot I want to say. There's a lot you all need to hear from me, guys. I've considered some things and I want you to know them. And maybe you feel the same way to me. So it's very easy to get distracted and be quick to speak and slow to listen. James says, slow down. It's not jumping in to speak right after someone's talked or as they're talking, just thinking about all the things you want to say is maybe starting with a question to go, help me understand a little bit more. And then you know what that does? And I think James is so intentional here is that logically moves to the third thing he says for us to do. If we slow down, if we consider one another, if we ask questions, if we have curiosity, you know what that can lead to sometimes? It's compassion. Which then can lead to becoming what? Slower to get angry. It's convicting. My kids, my goodness. My wife was here, she would stand up and say, yes, brother, you need to hear this, Evan. Because guess what? I don't oftentimes listen. I just immediately tell and give out commands and dictate how things are gonna go. And I'm not that interested in what they have to say. Simple, but not easy. James's teaching here is also really complex. Notice he doesn't say that we should never be angry as he refers to anger. Instead, however, James is giving you and me a stark warning for all of us to be careful with our emotion, anger. This isn't an absolute teaching to say anger is always a sin. No, we see Paul even say the same thing. Be angry, but don't sin. And James is coming to, and James actually wrote far before Paul ever wrote any letter. So James is picking up on Old Testament understandings as well of what we do and how we be careful with our emotion of anger. He's saying patience and understanding to realize that you and I are not the judge, we are not the jury, and we are not the executioner. the collision of worldviews to cast judgment. Instead to be slow to anger, to control the emotion. Yes, feel it, it's right and good. Again, this is a proverbial statement. He's not saying anger is always wrong, but the question is, what are we really angry about? What are you angry about? Jesus got angry. Yes, some of you might be going, Evan, Evan, Evan. Remember all the places where Jesus like threw things over and he's like whipping things? I'm like, yeah, I remember that. I do. But I would also say, as I sat in this, because listen, anger is hard for me. 
It is a secondary emotion that comes very, very natural for me. And I love those texts about Jesus because you know what it does? It helps me feel like my anger is righteous. But Jesus handles anger much differently than I do and maybe you. We found a mouse infestation in our home two Fridays ago, not this Friday, but last Friday. I was fixing my lawnmower. And if any of you know me, that is a miracle that I could fix anything. But I was fixing it and I was feeling really good. And it was my day off and I was getting ready to like just finish up some yard work. And then as I was going to look for a tool, I saw some droppings. And I was like, that is disgusting. I was like, it's probably not a big deal, right? I live by the woods, no big deal. So then I moved to like clean some stuff up. And then as I cleaned some stuff up, I saw more droppings. Stinking gross. Pulled some more things out, and oh my goodness. Got worse and worse and worse and worse. We had a mouse infestation in our garage. So I pulled out like a Jeep cover. So I'm, I love the Jeep because I can take it off, and then if it rains, I have this cover I can put on it really quickly. And that cover had about 13 holes all through it with mouse poop and pee and whatever they make all nested in it. My kids' rollerblades became a really nice home for some sweet little mice, apparently. Ruined, not gonna give that to my kids. My tennis racket bag, everything in it, man. It was like, they got into everything. And listen, I immediately went from like a good Friday to deep, like, I mean, I'd argue maybe close to rage. I'm being honest, I'm being honest with y'all. I was so mad. They ruined everything. And I wanted death. Literally. I wanted their blood to be shed. I'm getting real spiritual, aren't I? It was not spiritual, trust me. It was primal. And I hate bugs and I hate mice, so I don't even want to be near them. But something clicked right away, and I was like, if I see one, I will go at it. Vengeance. Now, I say this story because in one sense, that's not that different from God and how he must have felt. See, I think sin's a lot like mice. In my story, it ruined everything. Messed up someone else's stuff. And yes, certainly Jesus, God poured out his wrath. But he'd do it on the people who deserved it. You feel a little, I feel uncomfortable right now. I feel the weight of that anger. And I think that's what James, hey, be slow, Evan. Be slow to anger. It's okay to be angry, but be slow because the anger of Evan does not produce the righteousness of God. I would exact vengeance. In fact, I would argue maybe many of us would want that. Think of a relationship. Think of a circumstance. Think of a situation that's caused you deep pain and hurt and frustration, and it wasn't your fault. Someone did it against you. James go, yeah, be slow to anger because your anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. James knows you and I don't, at least 99% of the time, I'm gonna leave a percent for someone in here. 
knows 99% of the time, we most likely don't have godly anger and then godly responses to the anger that we have. Meaning more often we're focused on my interest, our interest being frustrated rather than God's. And so here's the thing with Jesus. The gospels give an account of Jesus' 33 years of life and maybe a handful of times we get a glimpse of how he responded in his anger that was legit. He got frustrated and you saw him. That's a handful of times. Guys, that's like me every day. And yet we're looking at Jesus' life for 33 years. The way he handled anger is quite different than how man would just handle anger. Matthew 5, 21, 26 speaks of what Jesus says often when it comes to even anger. He says, you have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Judgment, passing judgment. So if you are offering your gifts at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come offer the gift. Come quickly to terms with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I'll say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus is talking about how we handle our anger at what happens to us. James says later in this letter that we're studying together, coming back to this very teaching in James 4, one through four, he says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly collision of worldviews because you want to spend it on what? Your desires. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world, the collision of worldviews, how do we live? Is that enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is timely for us today, Grace Hill. What does it look like for you and me to engage one another like this, like what James says? What do we engage our culture like? What does it look like to engage in the political reality that exists even within God's church? Much less the country that we are a part of. What does it look like in our relationships when we get angry, whether it's right or wrong? What does it look like to engage each other the way James says and being slow to anger? Quick to listen and slow to speak. What would that look like? James is saying we should strive. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. And he says this is going to be a blessed way of living. He's going to pick this up in a few verses. And this is hard, and I know it's a collision of worldviews that we are always having to wrestle against because this hits home. This hits in our hearts to go like, man, this, I'm angry. Something's happened. Something's been taken from me. And James is saying, slow down, guys. Slow down. If I'm being honest, and maybe if you're being honest, when I'm hurt, 
when I'm frustrated, when I'm wronged. The temptation, just like I had with those mice in my garage, was for vengeance. I needed and wanted vengeance. James says, Evan, there's another way to live. A way to trust God in the midst of those places that you find yourself and follow that, Evan. And we look at the rest of that verse and he says, you follow that by throwing off all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Literally what that means is like it's taking off an article of clothing and removing it from yourself. Take it off, throw it away, get rid of it. Just the same thing I did with all the mice. We got rid of so many things, shoes. We got rid of it, threw it away. It was filthy. I would say it was wicked too because those stupid mice. I need help, y'all. And he's saying that as we throw off wickedness, that we receive with meekness this word, the implanted word of God, God's spirit himself that dwells within us, which is able to save our souls. And what does James mean here? He's referring to a deep theological reality that salvation really has three realities, a past, a present, and a future. To refer to God's work of salvation in our lives, James knows Ephesians 2, 5, we are being saved, 1 Corinthians 15, 2, we will be saved. And then in the end and the age to come in Matthew 10, 22, and he's saying this, God is able to save your souls, trust in him, live by it, obey it, receive it with meekness, basically saying, I need your help, God, and I'll take your help. And then we move to verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. Verse 22 is the main point of the entire letter of James. That's why he's writing the letter. That is, that's like the thesis of James' letter. Be doers of the word, not hearers. You're like, well, why do we need to spend any more time on this? I don't know, James wrote a letter to people, so I think he knows we need to let that marinate over and over and over again. Be doers of the word. This is so closely tied to all that Jesus said. He cares about the heart, how we live, not what we say and what we think about him. He cares about what we do. And so we move on to this again, and he says, like, hey, the, the, the man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, what does a mirror serve as? Every one of us have probably looked at it this morning. What is it meant to do? To show us something about ourselves. And what does he say? That the man, don't be like the man who looks or the woman who looks at herself in the mirror and then walks away and immediately what forgets what he or she looks like. And then James immediately goes to and he says, Look into the perfect law, the law of liberty. The law of liberty is just like the mirror. It's the thing we look into to go, are we in line with what God has to say about us? Do you look into the law of liberty and then walk away and forget what you're supposed to There's the collision. Am I gonna trust my way or God's way? And he's saying, look into the law of liberty. It is to free you to live for God. Even though things are really hard, this is the dirty theology. He's saying, hey, look into it. This will give you and me life. Don't look at it and then walk away like someone who looks at the mirror and forgets that they've got 
their hair all messed up and walk out. Like, did you not look in the mirror today? James is saying, did you not look into the law of liberty and life and freedom? Look at God through his word. Know it and do it. This, he says, is the blessing. Verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person is, religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Our final look this morning at the collision of worldviews concludes with what it really means to live for God. James gives us two main things to look at. James says exactly the same thing Jesus is gonna say or has already said. The two greatest commandments. Love God and love others. Love God is essentially our personal holiness that we adhere to the things that God says, that we obey his word, we submit ourselves to his word. We follow him, we trust him, even when it's really hard. And the second is James picking up something very important. He's saying the same thing that Jesus said. Love your neighbor as yourself. And James is picking up something in that time, in that culture, that's not much different from our time and culture today. He's, who are the two most vulnerable populations in a society? But not a child without a mother and a father? Is it not the wife without a husband? And again, an agrarian society understanding that, that was significant provision, structure, and protection that was given. Those are the two big, so this is a broad umbrella. He's not saying these are the only things. He is aiming specifically at this. He's saying the most helpless and vulnerable people among you should be the very people that you are going and visiting. Now, visiting sounds like I visit the Bahamas. Is that what he means? Like, I'm gonna go and visit the Bahamas. It's great. No, that's not the word in Greek that is used, the word visit implies you go towards someone and you care for them. I visit places all the time without caring for the people there. James is getting very practical and saying, love God and love other people. Love the most vulnerable among you. Church. James speaks of bridling our tongue. Why is that in there? The first thing he says in verse 26, he's echoing Jesus' words in Matthew 15, verse 18. He says, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. Our holiness before God matters. Do we trust him? If we trust him, We'll listen to him. If we listen to him, he wants us to obey him. If we obey him, it means we do things that he tells us to do. But the tongue is also a source of great power. And James is gonna hit more of this later on. 
But how does a bridle work? If any of you all are familiar with a horse, it's that bit, that headpiece that forms a mean of communicating with a horse, right? It, the bits work by applying pressure to a horse's mouth. And the primary use for that is to be able to direct it, to keep it under control. It creates discomfort and pressure and helps direct left or right or stop. And James is using that illustration for you and me as we love God and we love other people to say, bridle your tongues. Doesn't that fit with what he said earlier? Quick to hear. Slow to speak. Bridle that tongue. Because from it speaks from the heart. We gotta be careful about what we say as Christians. It's not mere moralistic values that he just wants to put on us. It matters because from that, it's what we believe and think. And that comes out of us. Bridle it, be careful. It can cause damage just as much as it can cause life. Bridle our tongue. And then he moves to those two examples that I already shared. I wanna close with this. James wants you and I to remember that God came for us. And I am not saying that you and I are like the orphan and the widow in a very specific, literal sense, at least physically right now. I am not an orphan and I am not a widow. But what it is, is a metaphor as well of our spiritual condition apart from God. I was orphaned. I did have no spiritual father or I had one who was the enemy. And we were like the widow who had no provision, no protection. We were vulnerable and who was gonna care for us and provide for us? James is saying, remember, these are the things that help show that you believe that you were once this way too, apart from God coming for you and me to save us. And so live that way because that's how God lives. God came for me and you and any who have called God Father and Jesus Lord. The Old Testament, one of the most celebrated characteristics of God in particular is his concern with the most helpless and vulnerable. And it shows that he wants and expects his people, you and me to do the same thing. Deuteronomy 10, 18 through 19 says, speaking of God, Moses says, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. And that description of God is followed immediately by this command. Love the sojourner. Therefore, you were once sojourners. In the land of Egypt, it's simple, but it's crucial. The people of God should be like So in closing this morning, I think instead of a collision that we keep talking about, I keep talking about, James is pressing for followers of Jesus to have our head and our hearts intertwined. Not at war with each other, but trusting in the God who's loved us and saved us. 
That's where we go from being not just hearers, but doers, when our head and heart so intertwined, so look and gaze into the law of liberty, the law of freedom that God has given to us through his son Jesus and through his scriptures that are his very inspired words, that all of this would come down to being able to trust him. We trust him to live in this way, not perfectly. Where have we placed our trust? On the screen, I'm gonna put a quote. I just really feel like it's so helpful. Then we're gonna move into a time of communion. But as I just close, I want us to hear C.S. Lewis's words on trust. To trust him, God, means of course trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you have really handed yourself over to him, given yourself over to God, it must follow that you are trying to obey him, but trying in a new way, a less worried way, not doing things in order to be saved, but because he has begun to save you already not hoping to get into heaven as a reward for your actions, but inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because a first, I love this, faint gleam of heaven is already inside you. The sacrament of communion reminds us of this truth. It reminds us we come to this table to be reminded that God is trustworthy. He's done everything he's promised. He's done everything he's promised. Most importantly, his promise to rescue us from sin. He gave us his son, Jesus. Like the mice in my garage that I wanted vengeance on, he didn't pour his wrath and vengeance out on those who deserved it, but he poured it out on his perfect son. Just think for a moment. All that you and I have done wrong, all the sin that has been committed on planet earth from the beginning to the end, Jesus did not do it. He was not guilty. And God the Father put our guilt, your guilt, on his perfect son. Because we were helpless, because we were vulnerable. We had no mother or father to look after us. The gospel says he came for you and me in that place to forgive us for what we deserved. He forgave us. He was slow to anger with you and me. We deserved his anger, but he gave us his love. He gave us his son. He's trustworthy. He's done that for us. His son rose from the grave and is now Lord over heaven and earth. Communion reminds us that Jesus didn't stay at a distance and simply speak truth, but he came close to help us experience it.
Jesus is the ultimate example of what it means to not be a hearer of God's word, but a doer. Jesus knew perfectly. He also did perfectly. What grace. So come to the table this morning, confessing again your need for God to just help you to trust and live for him. Because he's not just trustworthy, he is also worthy of living for, which is what James is hammering over and over again. So come to the table this morning and remind yourself and don't look into the mirror. Don't look into the word. Don't hear the word this morning and walk away and forget who you are in Christ. But come and say, oh God, help me to live these ways according to your will. Help me. Help me do those things. Help me live this way so all the world would see how worthy and trustworthy you are. Be reminded of his broken body on the cross and the blood he shed. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the last thing I wanna say. My prayer for you is that today, instead of coming to the table and confessing your need again for him, that you would confess for the first time that you need Jesus. I plead with you to consider trusting in Jesus this morning. He wants to save you from your helplessness and your vulnerability. He's come for you. Would you accept him this morning? If you do, you can pray with me right now this simple, simple prayer. God, all I know right now is that I'm a sinner that can't fix myself and I'm helpless without you. And all I know is that I trust in Jesus's life, death and resurrection. And I wanna live my life trusting in you and receiving your help till the day I come home to be with you in heaven. Amen. If you prayed this prayer this morning, would you just come see me? Would you come meet any of our prayer ministers or Alan or I? We would love to talk to you about what it looks like to now walk with Jesus. For everyone else, please come as you're ready and receive God's grace again and again and be reminded of his great love for you that you might love just the way he has loved you.